This is episode 102 of the Dear Discreet Guide Trouble at Work podcast. This episode is titled, Useful Questions, a New Book. This episode is recorded during the pandemic and is part of our series, Near Daily Series, or Daily Series about the pandemic. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Dear Discreet Guide, Trouble at Work, where we talk about work, working, and how to make work better. If it's work-related, we're on it. Who knew talking about work would be this much fun? I'm Jennifer Crittenden, a former CFO and host of the show, and thank you for joining our quest to improve our workplaces. Let's do this. I'm thrilled to welcome back a guest to the show. Corinne Davis is with us today to talk about her new book called Useful Questions. And Corinne was actually on the show long ago. Uh, it was actually episode 11, and she talked about uh, the problem of office gossip and how to escape it. And it's a great episode if you struggle with gossip in your workplace. I highly recommend it, but that's been 90-some episodes ago. So um, welcome back to the show, Corinne. Well, thank you, and thanks, and congratulations on such a successful podcast and all the episodes you've done since the last time we talked. Well, congratulations are due to you because your new book is coming out and I have a big pile of this beautiful book on my dining room table. And I'll tell the listeners, uh, Corinne Davis is the author of this book, Useful Questions, A Guide to Self-Coaching. And I assisted with the project by serving as editor and also my company, Whistling Rabbit Press, was the publisher, so we are very excited to launch this book. Let me give yes, you. Yes, we are. <laughs> let me give you a little background on Corinne. She's the founder and CEO of the See It Station. That's C hyphen I T exclamation point, and I'll link to that in the show notes uh, in case you want to look that up. A coaching company in the areas of self mastery and life enrichment. She received her bachelor's degree in psychology from Oakland University and her life coach certification from the Coach Training Alliance. She spent 30 years studying and applying lessons from personal development programs, courses, and mentors. Her latest endeavor is developing Cal Rock Ranch, a retreat center for girls who have survived sex trafficking. And we're going to have the opportunity to talk a little bit more about that also. So Corinne, your book is finally coming out. Tell us how long. <laughs> Tell us how long it's taken you to get it out there and what inspired you to write it. Well, first of all, I'm so excited about this project, as you know, and um, it's really, it's just a dream come true that it's finally coming to fruition because it was at least three years in the making. I can remember being on a plane at least three years ago and telling somebody that I was writing a book and they said, oh, when, when will it be finished? And at that point I had no idea. And at that point it was really, I was just throwing ideas onto a page and it was very uh, unstructured and not put together. And, and it was really through my association with you and whistling press, whistling rabbit press that I um, was able to get some structure to it and actually get it completed. So yeah, it was three years in the making. And I, I decided to write it because my, natural inclination is to try and help people and to coach and some people really just are not open to that and I started 
getting a little more sensory acuity about when people were not open to that, but I still wanted to be able to help and not pound my head against the wall. So I decided if I put it in a book, then anybody who wanted to avail avail themselves of it could do that. And, um, and people who didn't want to do that or weren't ready to do that didn't have to listen to me. So it right. worked out really well. Yeah. So it's another avenue, I guess. Um, exactly. Yeah. To help people. And why do you think questions are a useful tool for personal development? Um, it's something I wrote about in the book, actually. I, I realized after a- analyzing my own personal development journey that questions were really what set the trajectory for where my life went and how it went forward from the point of the questions. And every successful coach or therapist or trainer or anybody really that I, that helped me move forward in my life and and up level to the next place that I was going really did that through well-timed and, and skillfully constructed questions. And so I realized how important they were. Um, Tony Robbins has a great quote. He says, you want a better quality life, ask yourself a better quality question. And that really hit home because I, I realized that it was the questions themselves and the reflection on those that um, helped direct me. The subtitle of the book is A Guide to Self-Coaching, and it, it's also the story of a journey. Um, so explain that for us. Yeah, so I went from a place of, of being completely unaware of my history, what was triggering me, why I was being triggered. I was pretty emotionally reactive in my 20s. It was a situation where I just really didn't have any kind of awareness about what was going on internally. And it wasn't until I started this process that I began to see what the triggering events were and then be able to start to regulate my responses to them instead of just having hyperreactivity. And then from then on, is as I worked through the self-regulation part of it more and more, it got more into aspects of self-mastery and just getting better and better at those things. I think they're a lifelong endeavor. I think they always need work, but they kept getting better and better. And then the question started to shift and my, my trajectory started to shift toward more contribution and growth-oriented projects and tasks and lines, I guess. So... The the journey, which is what I reflect in the book for myself, and I think for most people that that decide that they want to go on this journey, it goes from that. You're not aware at first. There's a great, I think it's called the stages of learning, I believe. It's a four-part cycle where the first part is called unconscious incompetence, where you don't even know what you're not aware of, and that's the unawareness part. And then you move from that into conscious incompetence, which is where you're really aware of what you don't know. And it's a pretty painful process, and that's usually helps to get the growth process underway. And that corresponds in the book to the self-regulation process, because when you're conscious of what you're incompetent about, then you start using the questions of self-regulation to help you get better at monitoring and regulating your responses. And then from there, it moves to a process of self-mastery where you're just getting better and better at it. And that corresponds in the circle of learning to it goes from unconscious incompetence to conscious incompetence to conscious competence, which is where you now know what you don't know and you're getting better at it, but it's not second nature yet. And you have to think about it. And so that corresponds to the self-mastery kind of things, which continue, as I said, throughout your whole life. And then finally, you get into the unconscious competence part of it. And I think that corresponds in the book to the part about really doing things for growth and for contribution. 
You got this rousing endorsement from Jack Canfield, which I'll read here. This book belongs in the library of anybody who is serious about living a happy, successful, and fulfilling life. How did you know him? Well, I've studied Jack and Jack's teachings from since the 70s. I mean, he was one of the original self-esteem people. He studied under a woman named Virginia Satir, who was a psychologist that was, I don't know if she was a psychiatrist or psychologist. Anyway, she was basically the founder of the whole self-esteem movement in the 70s. And he moved from that into success principles, that kind of thing. And I was privileged to be able to take a seven-day seminar with him back in 2000. It was called Facilitating Skills. And it was to teach people how to help others facilitate next-level living, really. And so I got to spend seven days listening to him and his teachers um, show us how to do just that. My podcast is usually about work. And one of the things I really like about the book is you talk about having a day job that didn't really fulfill you and it it paid the bills, but you eventually had kind of an epiphany about the importance of your job and what you could bring to it. So can you tell us about that? Yeah, absolutely. So I think there's a couple schools of thought here. In in all of the entrepreneurial help that's going around these days, a lot of people have the, the, the theory of if you want to be successful, go to the island and burn the boats, basically jump ship and sink or swim. But that wasn't an approach that was going to work for me. I was solely responsible for my bills and the, you know, the financial aspect of my life. So it wasn't something I could just up and do. If you have a, a substantial savings or you have financial support in some other way, you can do that kind of thing. But for the rest of us who have a day job and dreams to do something else, I think the transition needs to happen a little bit differently. At least it did for me. So for me, what that looked like was I had to realize what I considered to be my gift. And that in particular was the gift of encouragement and being an encourager. And so even though I was working a day job in a law office, and actually still am, I decided to use those gifts with the people that I worked with in that place, the kind of the bloom where you're planted philosophy. Mm-hmm. And as I did that, my misery in my job completely shifted. and. I started feeling like I was even in an environment that previously I had really loathed. And then what happened was we ended up moving to a new firm that was even better and brighter. And in the meantime, on the side, I was developing my, my second business that I will eventually transition all the way to, which is in coaching and personal development workshops and seminars. And I have a YouTube station where I put out videos on this kind of, this kind of thing. So basically useful questions that that people can use to help whatever situation they're in in their life. And so the transition for me happened with staying put so that I could still maintain my financial stability while developing where I wanted to go. And that, when you have the side gig where you're actually developing where you want to go, if you're not kidding yourself and you're actually doing the work, then that is, it feels like progress. And from what I understand, that's the newest theory on what really underlies happiness is that if, if somebody feels like they're making progress in their life. And so my entire psyche shifted because I was, I was living my purpose, which was to be an encourager and a coach, even in the environment I was in. And I was developing my, my next business that, that what I would, where I would be able to do that full time and be compensated for doing that and have my living made that way. And so every time I made a step toward progress and every time I make a step toward progress there, it feels really good. 
Yeah, that reminds me that one of the things I liked about in the book was your discussion about passion. And again, I think there's a lot of emphasis on that right now, just this whole idea of, yeah, jump off the island, burn the boats, where people are putting pressure on young professional people saying you have to find your passion. And you point out in the book, it might take some time before you identify your passion. Yeah. And I love that word, Jen, identify, because I think that really is what it is. It's not like you're something you're going to go out there and it's you're going to dig up, you know, you're going to dig up a garden and you're going to find a little box and oh, there's my passion in it. It's (laughs) it's recognized. It's just such a silly concept that we've constructed now. And Tom Bilyeu, who is a a YouTuber and he has a great podcast called Impact Theory, and he's a he's just an uber successful entrepreneur. He's had multiple businesses that were multi million dollar businesses. He really is the person who taught me about this other concept of passion. And he talks about how it's not, it's not something you just go find. It's something you develop. And the way you develop it is by starting to pay attention. So you pay attention to the things that light you up and that, and that make you feel alive inside or intrigued at least. And if there's nothing that you think of immediately when that when that you think about that maybe there's somebody that has a job that you think oh I wonder what that would be like to do that person's job so any little spark of interest initially if you follow that it's either going to fizzle or it's going to spark into something bigger and I think by just exposing yourself to more and more ideas and exposing yourself to more and more kinds of professions or callings um, the more you get exposed to that you will find something just as just as people doing relationships right you Classically, you dated a number of different people, and then there would be somebody that you liked better. And so you started dating them more, and that developed into a relationship. It's the same kind of thing with passion about, about career. You know, you try out different things, and eventually you're going to find something that, that draws you. And once you're drawn to that, then you can fuel the flames, and that can become a full-blown passion. And or it'll fizzle, and you go on to try and find another one. I think the question you use in the book is something like, what makes my heart go zing? Exactly. Yeah, I really like that. This conversation is reminding me of a kind of philosophical conversation I had with a plumber who was working in our house one time. And he said to me, you know, Jennifer, I'm convinced that people who are extremely unhappy at work are focusing on the wrong things. And I remember thinking, yeah, what an interesting observation that here's a plumber, right? Perhaps is not his passion. Perhaps it is. But he was a really contented guy. And like one of the things that he did that I thought was fun was when he built the cabinetry that the plumbing would go into, he would put his wife's name inside the cabinet. You know, that he found. Oh, how nice is that? So lovely. (laughs) Yeah. So, you know, he found ways to bring meaning to his work. And I think that this um, these messages that you're sending could also be helpful to people who are struggling a little bit in, in their day jobs. Do you have any other advice for them? Well, I love what you just said, actually. So it's, you know, part of it is about finding the meaning within the situation that you have. And that's what I talked about, you know, being an encourager, even in the situation I was in. So sort of identifying your gifts and figuring out how you can use them in your current situation maybe while you're developing a better situation to use those gifts in. But also what you just said about the plumber and how he, what he was focusing on. So it, we, it's funny because we just had the same situation. We had a slab leak and we had to have a plumber in to repipe the house. 
And the guy was just joyous. He really mm. was a pleasure to be around. Maybe it's and the same guy. <laughs> I, I wonder. And I was struck by it because I thought, you know, he could be focusing on, there's a lot of nasty stuff they have to do, right? And he could be focusing on that and how miserable it was. They found a decaying rat in the attic. Like it was disgusting. And he could be focusing on how miserable that was and, you know, how all the, all the, just unsatisfactory parts of his job, but he didn't. What he focused on was the pride in his workmanship. I mean, the guy, the, it was beautiful. The guy welded these copper pipes and it was gorgeous. I mean, everything was, was plumb and level and it, it, all the, the junctures were just beautifully welded or soldered. And it, it was, just, it was gorgeous. And he was very proud of the work that he did. Mm-hmm. And he was very happy to be helping a situation where, you know, we were kind of in a crisis. We had water flooding in our living room. So he was, he was happy to be able to help and to make our lives better. And I think with that kind of an orientation, no matter what the job is, you're going to enjoy it more. You write a lot in the book about learning to to manage your own emotions. And so tell us why that was important for you. Yeah. You know, as I said, in my twenties, it was super hyper reactive and I just felt like I I use an image in the book, a fledgling bird being thrown about in a rainstorm. And that's what it felt like. I was just reacting to everything. I didn't have any, any direction or any consistency or any, I just felt like somebody who was maybe drowning and needed a life raft. And that's a very unpleasant way to live. Mm -hmm. It's hard. It's really, really hard. And until you become aware of the things that are triggering you, you can't really, that's the beginning of finding the life raft. You know, because you can't fix what's broken if you don't know what it is that's broken. And so basically, I just, I didn't want to live anymore in the, in that kind of hyperreactivity mode and just being subjected to the whims of my emotional tyranny. A portion of the proceeds from the book are going to go to Cal Rock, which I mentioned during your biography. So what is that and why is that important to you? Yeah, this is my, this is my love project. This is my passion project for sure. For a long time, I've been really brokenhearted about women who have had to go through situations where they're being sexually exploited, sex, sex trafficking and the like. And the women that come out of that, very much like people that came out of the concentration camps in the Holocaust, Victor Frankl writes a great book called Man's Search for Meaning, where he really noticed the difference between the Holocaust survivors or the, whole, the people in the camps who were able to survive versus the ones that perished, and then the ones that were even able to thrive, even in that horrifying environment. And what he found was that it was based on the the meaning and the purpose that they had in their lives, either at that time, or that they were projecting to what would be when they got out of the camp. So in the same way, these girls have to learn to, first of all, they have to survive it. And so those are obviously the people that I'll be dealing with. And then when they can survive it, both, both physically and emotionally, then in order for them to be able to have any kind of satisfying life, they have to learn how to thrive. And so that is, there's a lot involved in mindset training and um, just the kind of concepts that we talk about in the book, how to go through the whole process from, you know, from self-awareness to regulation, to mastery, to the higher levels of contribution and growth. And so my passion project is to develop this ranch where they can come. And I, I really, the details aren't worked out yet. I'm just now developing the land and the structures, but the details of the programs haven't been completely worked out. We're going to have things like equine assisted psychotherapy, Pilates, mindset training, obviously coaching, all kinds of different elements to it. I just don't know how long it's going to be. So it will probably be somewhere between six months and two years. 
And the idea is that the girls will be able to come to the ranch and live in a rural lifestyle where we have animals and other beings that need to be taken care of. And we will learn how to come back from trauma and to thrive and be able to up-level your life. The book actually starts with that, with the story of a woman who has been traumatized and Jack Canfield is working with her in the vignette in your book. And you start off on this path of that it's not important to ask why this has happened to you, but to accept it and then to move on from there. So it, it just struck me that that really resonates with these women that you're trying to help who have been sex trafficked. And, you know, obviously the hardest part is understanding how such a terrible thing could have happened to you. Yeah. And I think there probably is a place for why at certain times, but what Jack really did masterfully in that, in that moment that I really respect and want to carry forward and pay forward was rather than dwelling in the past and what had happened. And actually there's a lot of evidence for it now in research showing that that can actually re-traumatize an individual to have to walk through that again Mm -hmm. mentally, rather than do that to say, okay, this, this happened. So we're going to acknowledge that this happened. We're not going to minimize it. We're not going to say it was no big deal because it was, but we're going to say this happened. And now given that that happened, what is my best option for moving forward? How can I do that in a way that I set myself up successfully to live my best life from here forward? Those sound like very important questions. I like to think so. Hopefully they'll be helpful. That's the whole idea, right? Useful questions. (laughs) Right. So tell us who you think the target audience for the book is is and how are you hoping to reach those readers? It's so funny because that that was a big deal for me when I when I first started writing it because all the recommendations I had were, you know, to be directing the book and the text to a particular niche and for me I guess it's personal development junkies. I guess it's anybody who wants to live a better life. Like Jack said in the in the recommendation in the in the um, blurb that he gave me, no matter where you are in your life if you're stuck back in that part where you just the fledgling bird in the rainstorm and you're being tossed about by your emotions or if you're just learning how to get those kind of things under control and be more responsive rather than reactive or whether you're further along in the path and now you're trying to just get better and better at that and be more mindful about the things that you say and do and choose or whether you're also endeavoring in ways that you can contribute more and that you can continue to grow Anywhere along that stage, if anybody's interested in doing any of those things and up-leveling their life, meaning getting, getting to the next place they want to go, that's, that's the target audience. Yeah, I would say for me personally, you know, I'm not a big uh, self-help type person. I don't read a lot of those books. But I wanted to take this project on because I did feel as though it had a broad audience, including people like me who... I think that these questions help me gain insight into ways in which I spend my time and my energy. Mm-hmm. You know, that's a pretty broad area for for a lot of us. Yeah, I'm, I love that you just said that, actually, because it is a lot about living your life in a more intentional way. Mm-hmm. If you If you don't come at it with insight and intention, then you're just getting subjected to whatever the forces are that are blowing about in the wind. And once you become an intentional and more creative with your time, it, it, it's a, the natural outpouring of that is that your the quality of your life increases. Yeah, I think it's allowed me to focus. Well, that's wonderful. I'm glad to hear that. <laughs> and so what else do you think people can expect to gain from the book? 
maybe a recognition of where they are on that path. And, you know, it's certainly not a linear path. It's more an upward spiral. And hopefully to be, um, to approach it with more self-compassion. So, you know, if I have a moment of emotional reactivity myself, 30 years down the road of knowing better, you know, you don't beat yourself up as much. You go, oh, right, I should have done this. Or this this question might have been help, more helpful to me. Or, oh, clearly I haven't been spending enough time you know, feeding my emotional immune system. And so I need to get back to that. It, it, it helps, for me, it helps me be more cognizant of what I need to do to stay on track and, and to be more gentle with myself when I'm not. So hopefully it will do that for, the, for anybody who reads it as well. Yeah, a couple of standouts for me. One of them is the story that you tell about how do I want to show up today in a moment in your life when you really are in kind of a bad personal situation and in a very discouraging uh, relationship. But, you know, the profundity of that question, how do I want to show up today, is so empowering, right? That this is, I'm going to make a decision about how I'm going to be. I'm not going to be victimized by my circumstances. So that one really resonated with me. And I think another one that you talk about is perspective and will this matter in five years? And I think that's also a trap that we frequently fall into is to get too focused on the short term. And, you know, maybe it's worth thinking about how this whole situation is going to look, as you say, five years from now, and what are we going to be proud of? Exactly. And that, that again, goes right back to intentionality, you know, deciding today how I want to show up today and how I want to live today, because all those todays add up to your life. And so if you approach those with how you're intending to create your day and your life, I I think you're going to have a very different experience than if you just allow that to chance. Gratitude is a hot topic these days. And how has that helped you on your journey? I think gratitude is actually the key in having a better life, a better quality of life, no matter what stage you're at, because it shifts everything. And one of the things that I learned recently that I really love comes from a a psychologist named Michael Gervais, who has an amazing podcast called Finding Mastery. He's a high performance and sports psychologist. And he has this little process that he goes through in the morning. When he wakes up, you take a long, slow, deep breath, and then you call to mind something you're grateful for. And you would call the experience of that something. So for example, for me, I wake up, I take a huge deep breath. And then often what I'm grateful for are my two Yorkies who are laying next to me. And I just revel in having, you know, one of them snuggled up on each side of me. And then the third step is to set an intention for that day for how you want to show up. And it doesn't mean like what you want to get done. It doesn't mean like, you know, I want to do, this is my task list. It means I want to be, I, I want to go through this day really focusing on being more compassionate or being kinder or being more calm. And then right after you set that intention, you set your feet on the ground to really ground in that intention for the day. And it, it kind of sets the, the tone. And the gratitude piece of that is enormous because it puts you in a different space. You're not in your head space anymore as much as you are in your heart space. Mm-hmm. It's very difficult to feel anxiety or anger or it might be even impossible to feel anxiety or anger or any of the things that we typically think of as negative emotions when you're in a space of gratitude. And it also does this thing, my, my sister has this great practice, she calls looking for the trinkets. So she thinks about things she's grateful for, and then it, it, it does what's called priming. Like when you prime a pump to get water out of it back in the old days, you prime yourself to look for other things to be grateful for. So you're naturally set up to look for the good, to focus on the good during the day. 
it's just a great way to go through your day and a, a fantastic way to go through your life. Well, sadly, we are in the midst of a pandemic, a public health crisis like we've never seen before. And I sense from my interactions with my friends and family that people are feeling a wide range of emotions, even uh, just disorientation, not any uh, real clear emotions even. So what advice do you have for us, Corinne, to stay healthy during this time? Well, I think what we just talked about is huge gratitude. And I would like to acknowledge it, it, it makes perfect sense and it's perfectly normal for, for everybody to have this huge range of emotions because, like you said, it's unprecedented. You know, we're in un- uncharted waters here. We don't know what to expect. We don't know how to be. And so that comes back to setting your mind about how you want to be. So one of the questions that I have in the book that I love, it's been so helpful in my life, is given this, what's my best option? So yeah, we're in the middle of a pandemic for sure. It's it's horrifying and it's scary and the things that are going around are awful and and somebody that's listening might be somebody who's lost a loved one and so you're going to have that whole you know experience of grief and in addition to the fear and the anxiety and all that and what you focus on is going to absolutely determine the kind of day you have so I have friends that are that are focusing on how scared they are or what's wrong or how disorienting it is and they're having a very different experience than some of my other friends who are looking at right now at what can I do? So that's a big thing that I think can really help not only yourself, but other, other people as well. And I think what I think humans are geared that when you help somebody else, it, it automatically helps you. You automatically feel better. But when you look at what I can do instead of what I can't do or what might happen, you have a very a much better experience. And so for me, what I said, okay, what can I do? I, I'm supposed to stay in my house. And, you know, all this craziness is going on. What do I want to put out there? Am I going to, am I going to share all the horrible news stories of how the U.S. is the number one in terms of corona cases and deaths and all that? Or am I going to share things that are uplifting and, you know, talk about the strength of the human spirit in times like this and how people pull together and how pandemics and other such nightmares are, are times when you see people that are born leaders, they know what to do, they lead. And people that are that want to be helpful, put out compassionate things on their Facebooks or their emails, or they they send a letter to their neighbors saying if anybody needs any help, you know, if anybody's elderly and, and really can't leave their house because they can't afford the risk, I'm happy to go to the grocery store for you. You know, these are things that we can do. And if we focus on the can do's instead of the, the what might or the can't do's, it's gonna be a way better experience. And the other part about that is, it's another thing Tony Robbins says that I love. Fear and worry and anxiety are about a future event that has not yet happened. Mm-hmm. So if you're going to imagine a future event that has not yet happened, why not imagine something better? Because it, you're, you're by, by definition, if you're worrying or you're afraid, you're imagining something bad. Mm-hmm. Well, your imagination is within your control. Mm-hmm. So maybe it's a better idea and it's more helpful and it's more productive and it's more useful to think, Maybe, you know, maybe everybody I know is going to and, and love and care about is going to be able to escape this unscathed. Maybe I'm going to, uh, there's going to be something in me that's going to show up that, or maybe I can develop something more, more importantly, that can be useful and helpful to other people that, that wouldn't have come out if I hadn't known, you know, if I hadn't been stuck at home in this crisis. And the other thing I think is really helpful right now is this is forcing people to slow down, especially in the West. We go about our lives at warp speed, most of us. 
And so this is really as scary as it is and as much bad stuff as there is, there's also a really important silver lining here. I think this is a really special time in terms of being able to slow down, to go internal, to figure out what's important to you, spend more time with family. I see a lot of people out walking their, with their kids, you know, in strollers or little kids or walking their pets or couples walking hand in hand. Things that you didn't, I mean, I didn't see that that much before. And now it's everywhere and people are have this forced downtime and now you get to decide what you want to do with that. You know, do you want to sit there and be afraid and watch the news and, and focus on everything that's scary and negative? Or do you want to clean out your garage? Or do you want to get out your candle making supplies that you haven't done in 20 years and make beautiful candles? Or do you want to bake cookies? There's so many slower, sweeter, more beautiful things that we can do and share with our families and the people that we're quarantined with while this is happening that kind of take the edge off the, the fear and the anxiety, if any of that makes sense. It definitely makes sense to me. And I actually went through that process myself this past weekend, you know, feeling kind of out of control and also sort of irrelevant, like the things that I had planned for the podcast seemed kind of foolish, right? The, there was just a lack of acknowledgement of what we're all going through. And so I was joking that I returned to First Principles this past weekend and decided that I would do a daily podcast instead of just doing two a week. Perfect. And yeah, and, and kind of change the format so that they were posted early in the morning. Uh, they're definitely about issues around the pandemic, uh, but they're intended to be positive, informative. And it's amazing how all the guests that I've had on this week can bring a message of silver linings or potential good outcomes that might come from this. Or, you know, people are really thinking about the good side of disruption. And so I found myself, you know, getting more buoyed by my guests and their messages too. So it's definitely an opportunity for, for changing things up and feeling as though you're making more of a contribution. Well, kudos to you. That was a perfect demonstration of it. It also occurs to me, you know, I've been feeling kind of bad about launching the book during the middle of this, but with these messages that we're having on the podcast and you on the show today and the messages from the book, I actually think it might be a pretty good time to launch the book. I think it could be helpful to people in the midst of all this chaos. Well, hopefully that's true. And I also had the thought that, you know, people have to stay home more. So when you stay home more, one of the things you can do is read. <laughs> so, that's true. So if you have some good books and, um, you know, or if you want to order some new books, uh, which might, might, might hopefully be one at some point. Yeah, it's a really good time to do that, to just slow down and sit in a chair and maybe even outside in the sun and, and just, you know, enjoy the warmth of the sun on your skin and what you're taking in. And I, I have a shortcut for when I'm feeding my emotional immune system. I call it feeding the good wolf. And there's a story about it in the book I won't go into, but, but basically what kind of good stuff can I put in and what kind of good stuff can I share and put out into the world to keep that upward spiral going? And um, I think this is a really good time to be focusing on that and doing that. I think it's really important at this time too. Yeah, it's a good time for important questions and introspection, I think. Well, we're definitely being given the opportunity for that for sure. I think you and I just happen to have the personality types where anger has been a pretty easy go-to emotion in our lives. And what would be your suggestions for how we avoid getting mad about what's happening around us? Um, yeah, well, first of all, I, I recognize that 
when I start, so when I went through all this, the processes that we've, we've been talking about and that I talked about in the book, one of the things that I realized was that anger was very much a secondary emotion for me. And so it would either be a response to, in this case, probably fear, or for me, often it was hurt and I didn't want to deal with the hurt. I didn't want to feel vulnerable. So I would just shift it. And it was, it was not even conscious and it was immediate. So it was more like a reflex, immediately flexed into, into anger. So I think that's a natural response for a lot of people when they're afraid. And so I think the first part of that is to get in touch with what am, what am I actually feeling like? What's the emotion that's underlying the anger? And then what's causing that? I don't mean what's causing it in terms of, okay, we've got coronavirus and people I love might die. I mean, in terms of what is the story I'm telling myself that's making me afraid? What story could I tell myself differently that would serve me and those I care about better? This is a famous concept of Tony Robbins again, which is, you know, what, what story you're telling yourself that's putting you into the state that you're in? Recognize the story and then change the story because it's your story. Mm-hmm. It's definitely a simple process. It does not make it an easy process. It's a very difficult thing. And one of the things that I learned that I think really helps it be a little bit easier is the concept of do less sooner more than rather than more later. So I have a friend who's having a really difficult time with this transition to telecommuting to work. And she's feeling, like you said, very irrelevant and unimportant because she's kind of down, down the list of who gets the access first. And so it's really been playing into her insecurities. And so we've been talking a lot about that, about doing less sooner rather than more later. So when you start to feel yourself go down a rabbit hole of ruminating and chewing on and dwelling on negative thoughts or emotions or whatever, try and check that in the beginning before it gets out of control and it's a full-blown tornado, you know, and it's just a little breeze. Check that like, oh, I don't, I'm not feeling a little off right now. What have I been thinking that's making me feel off? And then when you recognize that, okay, I recognize that, I acknowledge it. Given that this is the situation, what's a better story for me? What are my better options? What could I do that would change the trajectory of that mental conversation? Amazon seems to be doing its best right now to really tick us off. So after becoming practically the the world's bookstore, they've uh, decided in the midst of the pandemic not to ship books until the end of April. And they announced this rather unceremoniously for you and me right in the midst of our book launch. So how are you staying cool about that? Well, you know, there's still eBooks, right? So mm-hmm. I love that. That's always a great option. And um, I, you know, I think everybody's doing the best they can right now. So I'm just trying to be compassionate about that and, and have, I have a firm belief that not necessarily that things happen for a reason, but that you can, you can use what shows up in the best way. Mm-hmm. Okay. So that's not going to happen right now. It gives me time to do other things like I need to, change my website and alter the website to have uh, links to the book gives me more time to do that. It gives me more time to develop any kind of talks that I would want to do about the book. I'm trying to look at what I can, again, what I can do and what's a, a positive focus for it. And to realize that I think the people that are the most skilled and masterful in the world at no matter what their craft are the people that can use what shows up to their, to their advantage. So I'm just trying to work with that concept. Are you worried that the pandemic will reveal cracks in our relationships or our self-control with our children or other people we're quarantined with? Oh, I'm not worried about it because I'm certain of it. (laughs) (laughs) It will will definitely do that. But it also, on the other side of that coin, it also opens opens up opportunities in all those relationships to to deepen them, to, to restructure them, to get creative with them. I mean, I have 
I have friends who have their kids home from school who are doing amazingly creative, wonderful things. Not that also pulling their hair out sometimes, but you know, Mm -hmm. everybody's doing the best they can and they're using the situation to the best of their ability. And it's again about how can I use what's showing up right now? Okay, my kids are home from school or whatever the situation is to, to deepen those relationships, to look at them from a different perspective, to experiment with what makes it better, that kind of stuff. If you could wave a magic wand, what would you like to see in the world right now? <laughs> I have to laugh at that question because it reminds me of the Miss America pageant when I was a young girl and they would always ask that question. They would, they would ask, we know world peace. And it's, it's kind of goofy, but uh, it's not far from that. And I, I guess if I could wave a magic wand, I would wave it so that people would learn the benefits of mindfulness and of practicing slowing down and going internal and connecting with their inner resources and then bringing those forth into the world so that the world, not only your life, but the world can be a better place because you've gone inside, you've reached the best of yourself, you've brought it out with you and are using it to express yourself in the best way that you can that contributes to your life and the, and the, and the lives of those that are important to you and, and the whole world. Well, I sincerely hope that your book can contribute to that, that you can through your book, encourage people to produce more, be more uh, mindful of what they put into the world, and that we have a lot of benefit that comes, kind of of secondary knock-on effects of your book. I'm really hopeful that that can happen. Well, thank you, Jen. Me too. And I I want to just acknowledge you for your part in this, which was enormous. It would literally not have to come to fruition without you. And not only, you know, in the structure and the, and the, the editing and the publishing and all that of it, but, but just in the promotion of it and your perspective on it. I'm just really appreciative for you and all your talents and how you've shared them with me. And it's definitely enriched my life and certainly the book. And if that by extension enriches other people's lives, then yay us. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, you're very welcome. I've heard you speak publicly on a number of occasions and you're very good at the end of your speeches of throwing out kind of a challenge to the audience. So what do you have for us today? Well, I think... In the book, I, I have this section called "Your Turn for Everything." So I think we talked about a lot of a lot of the things during this pod. But I think the biggest things right now are your turn. How? What things can you be grateful for during this time? What good can you find to focus on during this time? And how can you use your gifts to enrich your life, the lives of others, and and the whole world during this crazy time? All right. I know I have to let you go because you have to go back to work. But do you have anything you'd like to share with the audience today, places they can follow your work? And I'll obviously uh, include links to the book and that kind of thing. But anything else you'd like to share with them? Um, well, I'm kind of getting back to that. So I had taken a hiatus actually to finish the book from doing my my YouTube. They're like little 10-minute segments. I think we're calling them See It Snippet. So that's on a YouTube station. The, the YouTube station is the See It Station, just as the, my website is theseatstation.com, and I also have an Instagram and Twitter account. So those have not been real active lately, but I'm going to be getting back to that now that the book is finally finished and, and coming out, so you can connect with me in any of those places. Great. Thanks for coming on the show, and thanks a lot for writing the book. Thanks so much for the opportunities, Jen. Appreciate it so much, and you. That's it, everybody. You've made it through another episode of Dear Discreet Guide, Trouble at Work. 
During the pandemic, we'll be changing our format in honor of those who are quarantined or working on the front lines. We'll put out shorter shows on a daily or near daily basis early in the morning to start your day on a positive and interesting note. We'll be considering work-related issues relevant while COVID-19 is impacting the world. If you have a question or a comment or a message for our listeners, please get in touch. We'd love to hear from you. You can reach us through the website, discreteguide.com, D-I-S-C-R-E-E-T-E, where you can also find other resources about working better together. Thank you for joining my quest to improve our workplaces, our work lives, and our lives in general. And thanks for listening. We look forward to returning to our old format when the world has returned to a more normal state. In the meantime, please hang in there, stay safe, and know that I care about you.